Amen. You may be seated. We have a very special morning this Sunday. If uh, this is your first time here, you would want to know that this is our combined service. We have two services on Sundays. We have the English service and the Spanish service. But on the first Sunday of every month, we all gather together as one family because we are one faith family. And so it's, a, so it's such a joy to have you join us today. We have, a, like I said, a special Sunday where there's a few things that are going to happen this morning. Uh, first, there's going to be a graduation. Uh, a graduation from Providence Road Academy, which we'll talk about here in just a second. You're also going to get to a, a, an inside uh, view of an update of what's been going on with Awana. Uh, both of these are incredible ministries, and we have some students here that represent the ministry that was done in those ministries. And so I, I, I am so grateful for you guys coming alongside of these uh, two ministries and very appreciative that you're here to witness what God has been doing in the lives of our young people. And so uh, at this time, I'd like to uh, introduce to you a a few people from Providence Church. They are a church that we partner with quite a bit. In fact, we're going to camp together. So their youth ministry and our youth ministry are doing camp together at Bonham State Park. If your students, 6th to 12th grade, have not registered for that, make sure you do that this week. It's going to be an absolute total blast uh, Pastor Scott and I have been talking about what the events are going to look like, and it's going to be such a great time. Leaders, you're going to have a great time too. Uh, we've been talking about what we are going to be doing with the students, and you're not going to want to miss that either. So it's going to be a, an amazing experience for everyone involved. So well, we partner with Providence quite a bit. We also did so with this program as well. But I would like to introduce you to, uh, introduce you to a few people. Uh, this will be uh, Scott. Mr. Court, Pastor, uh, Pastor Court is the pastor of Providence, and Miss Lauren, they're going to come up here and share a, a little bit with you about the Providence Road Academy. This is, a, this is a program that two of our students have participated in this entire year, and so we're very grateful for them to share with you what this program is about and why our students got to benefit from being in an environment like this. Pastor Court. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for having us. Um, I know that I am on a time clock, and so I'm going to do as best as I can uh, with that. I want to thank you for just a little bit of time to both share with you about the program and then also to honor our first four graduates, four young women who have done a wonderful job uh, this last year, two of which are right here from your congregation. And so uh, as uh, Pastor Zeke said, my name is Court Marley, and I'm the lead pastor at Providence Community Church. And uh, I'm sure that some of you are familiar with us, especially if you have students. Uh, As Zeke said, we partner together. Um, This program particularly, though, this new partnership that we began last year, was designed for high school graduate-age students to undergo a year of discipleship training uh, as they begin the next phase of their lives, the next season of their lives. And so these graduates have completed that year-long program over the course of the last year, starting in last August. Um, a little bit of background is when I, when I was 17 years old, I came to know Christ uh, in a powerful way. It was my senior year in high school, and as you can imagine, I was going through all of the typical steps that you take as a senior as to what is next. And so I had been doing all of the campus visits, college applications, trying to figure out what a FAFSA is because, uh, you know, I couldn't pay for my college. Uh, and I was trying to figure out if my SAT scores were up to snuff to go to certain places, um, And I was invited at that time to join a program in the church that I had just joined. 
Um, now, I knew that I had to make a pretty quick decision. I had a number of universities that I was considering to go, whether it was going to be Baylor or University of Texas or Laterno University. And then, you know, I get offered to do this program. Uh, the only thing was that this program was just starting. Never happened before. It was the inaugural year of this program. Uh, and there was nothing institutionally attractive about this program, but just to, to put it lightly. Uh, you know, I would go to these college visits, and you'd see these big lecture halls, and, you know, where you might be able to learn from these intellectual elites. And this program was offering me to come and sit in the children's ministry classrooms and be taught the Bible. And, uh, you know, it, the, the, the classrooms themselves had murals, you know, of kids, you know, paintings of Bible stories. But something had happened to me, you know, that year. My life was truly changed when I met the Lord Jesus. My desires had changed. And for whatever reason, uh, against reason, I knew uh, that what mattered most to me was that I knew God and knew God more deeply and that I was called to follow him. And that led me to to join this program. Now, I want to spare you all the details of that for the sake of time. But I will say that some of the relationships that I built in that in that year of my life, those years of my life in this three-year program are still strong today and, and still exist today. Some of my best friends came from that. Uh, I'd be lying if I said that there weren't times where I thought, man, did I really make a great decision here? Um, but when I graduated from that program, my wife and I, I took my first job as a youth pastor. I went from there to being invited back to that very same program that I had been a part of and led that program. A few years later, we planted a church in 2012, and this last year we celebrated a 10-year anniversary of planting a church uh, to the glory of God. Um, And in all of that time, there's been so many things that have gone on, but I go back to those early formative years, not just my ministry life, which next month I'll celebrate 16 years as a pastor. Uh, which is a great a great grace of God, not that I've uh, deserved that. <laughs> However, I go back to those early days in that those little classrooms with children's paintings and murals. The road of God's providence takes many turns, and it certainly took many turns in my life, but it always has turned for my good and for God's glory. And so a few years ago, I decided to, you know, I started to dream a little bit about creating a program like that one that was so impactful to me. And that's what we're celebrating this morning is the first inaugural year. These young women took the same leap of faith that I took, and they are our first class. And it could not have been a better first class of young women. And I hope that you know that. Not just the two that were a part here at Calvary, but the two that were from Providence. They are wonderful young women. And God has much ahead for them. And I don't just say that as a euphemism. I mean it with all of my heart and hope that you see it too. And I hope that today can be not just recognizing their achievement, but praying and asking the Lord to lead, to guide, guard, and direct these young women and all of their endeavors going forward, that the providence of God would lead them as well for their good and his glory. And so I want to say to you gals, thank you for taking the leap of faith. I'm so proud of all of you. I'm so honored that I got to be a part of it. And I hope that you also know um, that the leap of faith that you, t- that you take or that you took and continue to take, that God is going to work it out for your good and for his glory. So now I'm going to go by the uh, slides that I was given by Zeke in the order. This is no specific order of achievement, okay? Uh, And it's not alphabetical, so these are just random order. Here we go. First is, uh, and Chanel, if you'll come up. Chanel Corral, if you come up, and we're going to give her, you guys give her a hand clap. Second is Heather Gonzalez. Heather, you come on up. Cody Colbert, come on up. 
and last but certainly not least, Jocelyn Hissy. You come on up. If you will pray with us, I want to lay hands on these young women and ask that the Lord would be with them, guide them, direct them. They have so much ahead of them. Um, and if you want to know more about the program, we'll try to hang out a little bit afterwards. But we, you know, we don't have that much time. But I'd love to pray over them if you'd join with us. Father, thank you so much for these young women. My God, you and you alone know the plans that you have for them. Thank you that they've taken such a wonderful leap of faith in this last year, but let it be a foundation that has been laid so that so much more can come from their lives for your glory, my God. I pray against the enemy who is a liar and he schemes constantly to try to distort your work in their lives. Would you guard them from the evil one, keep them protected, both physically and spiritually and emotionally and psychologically, all the days of their life. My God, we pray for fruit in their lives, fruit in their lives that would be manifested in a myriad of ways, but that glorifies you. God, you have gifted them each uniquely, and I pray that you would not only help them to recognize those gifts, but God, would you reveal those gifts to others, that others would also recognize them, and in so doing, their lives would flourish. God, I pray for their future, their future families. God, if it be your gracious will for their future children, that you would bless them all. And that, my God, you would lead and guide and direct every step of their lives. May this moment be a moment that they look back on to know that a foundation was built. And that, my God, you have surely called them. We trust you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and good name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Phenomenal ministry. I cannot recommend this ministry more. If you have a, a student that's graduating, they're not quite sure what they want to do, highly recommend go spend a year unpacking the Word of God. Saturate yourself in God's Word and let Him develop what He wants you to be through His Word. And I'm telling you, that is a fantastic, phenomenal ministry that the Lord is doing. And we were just so grateful to get to partner with you on it. So thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, at this time, we're going to transition just a little bit. Uh, another amazing thing that God has been doing in the lives of our young people is establishing a ministry here where they have one focus, one purpose, and that is to write the Word of God on the tablet of their heart. And so I'd love to introduce you to two amazing people. This is Oscar and Melissa who head up our Awana ministry here at Calvary. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. All right, so like he said, we want to give you an update on Awana. We specifically, we want to update you. We want to invite you to our award night. You can see it up on the screen. It's a couple Wednesdays from now, but I want to give you some context on why we want you to show up. So we started Awanas back in September. It was the very first time we've had it here at Calvary, at least for a very, very long time. And so we didn't know what to expect. I thought this was going to be our Awana. It was just going to be me and Andrew looking at each other. Uh, but I, right now, we have about 30 kids registered. We average about 20 every Wednesday night. And so I want to explain what we do. We start at 645, and, and some of these kids come to Calvary, and some do not. But from 645 to 815 every Wednesday, we love on these kids. We start off, I ask them the same thing every week. They'll tell you. Some of them are here. What's the favorite thing that happened to you this week, right? We start with that, and we get to celebrate with them. And then we finish up by saying, what can I pray for you about? And these are kindergartners through fifth graders. Sometimes it's pretty lighthearted, and sometimes it's not. 
And so we pray with them, and we love them for an hour and a half every Wednesday. Then we play some games, and we have a ton of fun. And then, like Zeke said, we spend some time partnering with the kid and their parents to help them memorize scripture. Like I said, we've got about 20 kids on average every Wednesday. And if I got up here and told you that every kid memorized one scripture and we averaged 20, y'all be pretty happy probably, right? Good job. If I told you they memorized five and we had 100 memory verses, you'd probably be like, good job, good job. These are kindergartners through fifth graders, right? So before I tell you where we're at, how many verses have you memorized since September 21st? Don't say zero out loud. Stop it. Stop it. All right. All right. So as of today, with two weeks left in Awanas, averaging 20 kids, our kids have memorized 174 Bible verses. So we'll definitely. We'll definitely clear 200 before we're over here in a couple weeks. And look, we, we do that because like Zeke said, we know there's a return on that investment, right? We know that the Holy Spirit is going to bring those verses back to their memory when they need it the most. And so I, I want to say a couple things. First of all, to our volunteers, we have too many. Not enough. Just kidding. We don't have too many. But I want to say thank you. And, and I don't use notes when I speak, but here we go. Lucy, Claudia, Lana, Becca. Beatrice, Didi, Janie, Angela, Lozny. We couldn't do it without y'all. Thank y'all so much for your sacrifice. Where, where is everybody? All right. Thank, thank you so much. Obviously, I can't leave out uh, my wife, Melissa, who is our fearless captain in this whole program as well. Uh, <laughs> so thank you to our volunteers, and thank you to you all. Look, all this stuff that we did, the books, the vests, the jerseys, the resources, the supplies, they, they, they're not free, right? And so, first of all, thank you all for your support of Calvary, your, your financial support and your offerings that you give. That's what makes this possible. So thank you. And, and that's why people like Zeke and Terry, they get up here unapologetically every week and ask you to financially support the mission because what you all are doing matters in that area. Second of all, come Wednesday night. May 24th, 645, and love these kids with us. Look, it's not for you. I know. You're like, I'm going to go sit there and watch kindergartners. No, 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 I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's not for you. Help us Wednesday night, May 24th, love these children and love their families. And I'll finish with this. Uh, we're going to do it again next year. So help us out. Join us, volunteer. Thank you so much. Yeah, love on them and celebrate what God has done in their life. And that's just such a joyous thing to watch what God is doing. It, it, there's nothing that satisfies the soul more than to see God enter into the hearts of young people. And so uh, thank you guys so much for your support in that. Uh, but, uh, I, I have a special announcement uh, today. Gusto, could you and your family come up here, please? You guys will remember that uh, a while back uh, they prayed uh, for a child, and they have a miracle child because doctors told them you cannot have children. And uh, just goes to show you how much man knows and how much God knows. Amen? Amen. So I have a special announcement. Guess who's with child again? So I'm going to pray real quick, not only for this miracle, but for the next one. 
Father God, we just are in awe of who you are and how you work in our lives. So I, I pray for this couple as husband and wife, as parents. I pray for the little brother and little sister that is about to come into their lives, Father, that you continue to watch over and protect them and guide them, love on them, grant them mercy and grace as they move forward, Father. And again, we thank you for being you and hearing our prayers as say you have answered them again. In your son's name, amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Thank you. You want to preach? Come on. It's okay. He's my buddy. That's going to be better than any sermon that I can deliver. That's, that's just that's awesome. So before I begin, would you pray with me and pray for me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come today in your presence here. Uh, giving thanks for the opportunity to, to hear your word. Uh, I just ask that you remove me from the equation that would be your message. Uh, open our hearts and minds that we may hear how you would speak to us individually and collectively as a body of Christ. Pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Hurston did an awesome job as we began a series on family. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, I think we have it posted online. I encourage you to go and listen to it. Uh, Pastor Herson preached uh, from the third chapter of Colossians, and as I said, did a great introduction to what we're, what we're going to be doing. And we're going to break down some relationships and family, and today uh, I want to speak about God's family with this one question. What has happened? What has happened to our family? You see, the family used to be a close-knit group, and the home was self-contained. It was shelter. It was security. It was a school where we could learn about things. We could learn about life's basic lessons. It was a kind of church where God was honored. It was a factory where the basic necessities were actually produced there in the home. It was a place where there was wholesome recreation. And simple pleasures were enjoyed. You know, a concerned leader years ago made this statement. The home is a citadel of American life. If the home is lost, all is lost. People the world over would agree that if society's health in the world is to be maintained, the home, the family must be restored and preserved. Families should be a place where love is essential and where love is maintained. There should be love in the family in the same manner as Christ loves his church. Love imposes a tremendous responsibility on all the members of the family, but it's a responsibility that is accompanied by glorious rewards from God. God established the man is the husband, the father, and to be the head of the family. In the first chapter of Genesis, God created man and what were wonderful responsibilities he handed to man. Would you please put the one slide up that I have? Uh, guys, in the essence of time, I, I put a bunch of scriptures together, and these are not all encompassing. But I want to encourage you guys. Uh, you can either shoot me an email and I can send them to you, or you can take your phone out and take a screenshot of the of the slide up there 
God gave man the responsibility. He gave him responsibility to work, to be courageous, to be strong, to be loving, to be a husband, father, leader, and also a servant. He should be compassionate. He should be a provider. He's held accountable. He should be honorable. And he should live God's truth. And in living God's truth, guys, that encompasses sacrifice. That's a lot of responsibility. But Psalms 130, beginning in the 13th verse, says this. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for his children. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. You see, God bears with us in our humanity. He knows we're fragile, but God's care is eternal. God's relational style is to present a series of shadows, of trials, of challenges, and opportunities in our lives until we realize the fullness and the understanding that culminates in Jesus Christ. We see this in the sacraments, we see this in the sacrifices, we see this in the commandments and in the rituals. We see it throughout his word and especially in the Old Testament. So God began with a biblical marriage, the union between man and woman. It's the first social institution God established. The order of creation of man and woman and the purpose for which God joins them together cannot be overlooked. From man, Adam, God forms woman, he forms Eve, and she's a suitable helper. Those two are one flesh. Though distinct and different, they are one flesh. They form a family in which they are specifically commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Adam is responsible for Eve. He is the head. He's the leader, the provider, the protector, the lover, and he is to work, be compassionate, courageous, strong, and he is accountable to God. You see, the first Adam failed to protect and lead. He failed to give himself fully to the task that had been entrusted to him. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, did not fail. In Christ, we see what should have happened. In Christ, we see a total commitment. Unfortunately, the modern concept of love and marriage typically does not include or has a misunderstanding of sacrifice and commitment. We go into marriage as though it were contract. A contract is a legal binding document, whereas a covenant is a spiritual agreement. A contract between two parties has things and verbiage in it that says, if you do this, we will do this. And if you don't do this, then we can void this contract. A covenant is a pledge, a perpetual promise. You seal a covenant. You sign a contract. God's covenant with his children are perpetual, and he will never break his promises. His desire, he desires a relationship with his children for eternity. Unlike Christ's, dis- unlike Christ's display of compassion and sacrifice, our marriages and families truly and so often like, lack humility, long-suffering, and grace. And when I say long-suffering, we lack the patience and the perseverance 
that we saw with Jesus. You see, we've made it too easy to marry, and we've made it too easy to walk away from a commitment. Whether that is in marriage or whether that is in parenting or whether that's just in a relationship you have with friends. What if the love we experience in marriage and parenting and in our relationships was designed in part to show the extent of Christ's love for us? If you don't realize that, then I question the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. You may know him, but you have not experienced him yet because that's what he wants us to be in our relationships. So what happened? Well, it's real easy. Free will. God gives us free will. We have the ability to make choices. And in the garden, we begin to head down the wrong path. In the beginning, Adam had food. He got to name all the creatures. God gave him one rule. Do not eat from this tree of knowledge. The ground was watered and God planted the garden. God gave him a helper. And Adam sinned and missed the mark. Disobedience to God has consequences. It always has and it always will. Notice that God called out to the man. He called out to Adam, questioned Adam. And then after everyone was finished blaming each other and not taking responsibility for their choices, it was time for correction. The serpent was doomed to eat dust forever. Eve's pain in childbirth was multiplied. And she would have a desire for her husband, and he would rule over her. Then Adam was corrected, not for listening to Eve, but for disobeying God. God told him not to eat the fruit of the tree. So the ground was cursed, and he would toil to eat from it. He would sweat and fight thorns and thistles and eat bread until he returned to the ground as dust. They were tossed out of the garden. Over the years, husbands and men have continued to relinquish their role that has been designed by God. And over the years, many moms and wives have taken on the role of leader in the family. How did the family structure fall so far from what God intended? The answer is mostly complicated, but yet so very simple. As in the garden, we have become self-absorbed and disobedient to God's word. Life has become about each of us individually. We have made our lives not about God, but about ourselves. Our children have been mentored to look out for themselves first. You see, there's a pandemic of loneliness in families, a pandemic of loneliness in marriage, there's a pandemic of loneliness in communities and in this nation and in this world. There's a feeling of hopelessness. Suicides continue to rise because there are those that feel they have no hope. Mental illness and drug dependency seems to be a way of life for so many. You know, there was a time when young boys were taught how to be led to maturity. To become a knight, young boys went through a process to get the knighthood. They were squires. They were mentored by their dads. They were mentored by men that their dad knew that were like-minded, that were godly men. 
So how does a society today tell our young men how they reach manhood? You know, there was a time where you reached manhood because you had your first drink. You smoked your first cigarette. Now it seems to even be more disastrous. Young boys believe that they have reached manhood when they have sex for the first time, when they try drugs for the first time, when they drive for the first time. Girls are taught to be, were taught to be nurturing and loving and merciful as they were brought up. We still teach young ladies to be that way. Do the young ladies know that the man that they're searching for has qualities that we described earlier that are those 10 things that were up on the board? Is that what they're searching for today? You see, there are millions of people that no longer attend church services in person. They misunderstand what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. They're eager to turn on the TV and listen to a pastor. There's really no commitment there. There's no fellowship there. They're not part of the body. And that's what, not what God's word says about the body of Christ. During the early years of this nation, the husbands toiled in the fields and protected their family under harsh conditions. Yet on Sunday, the family loaded up to go to church. And it was a buggy ride or a horse ride or a long walk. Just as they do in so many countries third world countries where we see that people walk three and four miles to a service that, by the way, lasts for two or three hours. Sometimes they walked or met the circuit rider that was preaching in that, excuse me, in that area who had ridden a horse miles and miles to get to that location so he could share the word of the gospel. You see, back then, families were trusting and fearful of God. They leaned on each other in community. If a tornado came through and knocked your barn down, within a week, people in that community would be on your property, helping you rebuild that barn. Kids went to one-room schools where the 8-year-olds were in there with the 13-year-olds until the harvest came in, and then the 13-year-olds were in the fields working. There were wars, dust bowls, storms, economic trouble, civil unrest, yet they focused on God as their provider and their protector. Although, as in the Bible, when they strayed from God, he become, as the Bible describes, the prodigal son's father. Although correction was coming, he joyously opens his arms to those believers that have strayed. We have gotten further and further from what God intended his children to be. As we make choices and stray from him and his design for family, he still watches over us, though. That's his promise. That's his part of the covenant. He desires us to learn very painfully sometimes, step by step. At the same time, we remember who he is and whose we belong to. You can look at today and all the chaos and all the confusion that's going around, and we just don't seem to know what to do. Uh, Although sometimes we pray, God, uh, Jesus, come quickly. That's not what we're here for. 
Scripture tells us we're here to make disciples of all nations. We have a job to do. We need to stand up and do it. Can you show the slide of the sheep? I saw this slide, and I just laughed. But as I finished laughing, I thought, how sad. Here's one piece of fence that sheep believe I can't go around. Even the one that's at the edge looking around is like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just here. Scripture is clear as to what we are supposed to be doing. We shouldn't lose hope. Losing hope means you're losing faith and trust in God. As parents, we want our children to like us today. And in the process, what has happened is children no longer respect their parents. We've allowed children to rule the families by their feelings. Today, so many, the truth is however they feel, not what God says. We have made ourselves God-like in what we say and what we do. God does not, receive, does not receive respect and fear as he should, or more importantly, as he demands. Our priorities are centered around our desires, not God's will. Pridefully, we take credit for our accomplishments. And as we take credit for our accomplishments, we also look for excuses for our failures. It's not my fault. 2 Corinthians 13, beginning in the middle of the third verse, says, He is not weak dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Unlike, uh, likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. Paul, as we should do, gave God credit for his accomplishments. We should examine ourselves and take responsibility for our choices or the lack of choices. That's what's placed us where we are today. We should repent and allow God to correct us and move boldly forward in his will. Seeking and following him will bring us individually and as a body of Christ, extraordinary joy. You see, the greatest moments in life are not connected with selfish achievements but rather with the things we do for people we love. You know, when a mother asks you, do you want a piece of advice? That's a mere formality. It doesn't matter whether you answer yes or no, you're going to get that piece of advice anyway. But yet the heart of a parent should be, as, should be a deep abyss. And at the bottom of that abyss, you should be able to find forgiveness. God is with us always. When everything goes to hell, the people who stand by you without flinching is your family. It may not be your blood family, but that's God's family. Family does not have to be perfect. It just needs to be united. That is what people have, that's what people do that love you. They put their arms around you and love you when you're not so lovable. And you can say, Pastor... My family is dysfunctional. Well, every family is dysfunctional if you have more than one person in it. We must return to the way God wanted family. Relationships take work, especially family relationships. You see, there is no place in God's family for mediocrity, for laziness, for self-centeredness. They have no place in a believer's life. We must maintain integrity at home and everywhere outside the home. 
working for God's will in all that we say and all that we do. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with enthusiasm as something done for the Lord, not for men. So how do we fix this? It's easy. Repentance is the foundation for eternal life. It has not changed and it will not change. Jesus began his ministry in Matthew with these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. If we do not turn around, change our minds, change our way of life, we will lose eternity. We will lose peace. You know, and peace is the beauty of life. It's sunshine. It's the smile of a child, the love of a mother, and the joy of a father. It's the togetherness of family. It's the advancement of man. It's the victory of a just cause. And it's the triumph of God's truth. So as we prepare our hearts now for communion, think about this. Do you desire to have your family back? If you've walked away from one another, is that your desire? God can bring families back together just like he can bless families with more children. You want to promote world peace? You want to have this, get this nation back? Repent and go home and love your family. Grant them the love and the mercy that God grants us every time we repent. 